everyone should have the right to equal access to education, employment, training, development, based solely on person's merit. Everyone should have the right to feel free from any direct or indirect discrimination, harassment and bullying. Welcome to Careers in Fashion. Today's episode will be discussing about diversity in the workplace and why businesses around the world are developing new workspace to focus on recruitment, work culture and skills. My name is Tahina Mitra and I'm the Graduate Futures Careers Consultant at London College of Fashion. I'm honoured to be joined by 2019 award winner Margaret Johnson-Clark, Global Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer from L'Oreal Group in Paris and also Isabella Chan, UAL Head of Equality and Diversity and Inclusion. We'll be discussing the concept of diversity and inclusion in the workplace, focusing on its values, challenges and successes. Welcome, Margaret and Isabella. If you can briefly introduce your background. So let's start with you, Margaret. Yes, hello, and thank you so much for this invitation. My name is Margaret. I am French and American and the Global Chief Diversity Officer for the L'Oreal Group. I'm based at headquarters in Paris, and I've been involved in CSR, diversity, inclusion, philanthropy, but also branding and communications for the past 27 years in different functions within L'Oreal, but also at LVMH and in a French nonprofit organization. So I'm delighted to be with you today. Thank you. Fantastic. And Isabella, over to you. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me this morning. I'm Isabella Chan. I'm Head of Equality, Diversity and Inclusion for University of the Arts London. I graduated as an electronic engineer and I've had many, many years working in the equality, diversity and inclusion world. Since the Stephen Lawrence inquiry, I've seen changes across institutions. My main experience is in the police and in higher education. Fabulous. Thank you. So this is a question to either one of you. Can you define what you mean by diversity and inclusion in the workplace? Yes, if I can start. Promoting and supporting diversity in the workplace is very important aspect of institutions. It's about valuing everyone in the organization as individuals. To reap the benefit of a diverse workforce, it is really vital that we have inclusive environment where everyone feels able to participate and achieve their full potential. So diversity is all about pulling applicants from a diverse pool, using the best techniques, getting institutions to be diverse in their thinking and in their in their workforce. However, that doesn't work unless we have inclusion where people can feel they can bring themselves to the work and, and reach their full potential. Fantastic. Following on to that, Isabella, as being UAL Head of Equality and Diversity, this topic is significantly important to you. Why is that? I graduated as an electronic engineer and I entered the world of engineering being a woman of colour. Mm. Um, and at the time, there were so few of us in that field. And I started to look at social justice and what it means. And to me, social justice means that everyone should have the right to equal access to education, employment, training, development based solely on person's merit. Everyone should have the right to feel free from any direct or indirect discrimination, harassment and bullying. And this what I describe as treating some people fairly and is covered by our legislation. However, 
our legislation in Britain and in Europe, and if you ask me, the whole world is set the minimum standards. My role as Equality, Diversity and Inclusion, EDI for University of the Arts, means that um, we are educating and graduating future generations that enter and lead the future in the field of diversity and in the field of creativity. So it's vital for our students and our staff to actually lead the way in the right way and be active in addressing inequalities around the world. Brilliant, thank you. And um, Marguerite, I think Isabella um, gave an excellent definition of diversity and inclusion, so I have absolutely nothing to add, Mm -hmm. except maybe the fact that it is an opportunity. Taking people's differences into account, embracing different perspectives, training our people to manage in an inclusive manner. These are all opportunities when you work in a creative workplace in a creative industry like the beauty industry, but it's very true also for the fashion industry. This is a real plus. So I think if I had to just add a word, it'd be opportunity. Why is this topic important to me? Because I have a dual kind of uh, expertise between branding and communications and diversity and inclusion slash CSR matter. I think what's really key today is that when they were completely separate as topics, and even more so since 2020 and last spring, these are completely involved. That is, today consumers will look at what the company that's producing products they wish to purchase has a, a strict DNI policy, what they do. So exactly like we saw that shift happening in environmental or in sustainability a few years ago, being more responsible. Today, we as companies need to be accountable for what we do and what we do from a human perspective as well. So I feel very linked to what we do in terms of branding and communications and product and what we do in terms of human and purpose-driven values that we stand by in our company, for instance, at L'Oreal. So By saying that, what progress has been made generally in the workplace and what further developments would you like to see? I think in terms of progress, we have a very active department in matter of diversity and inclusion. But what's evolved, the progresses we've made is probably to enable employees to speak up, to Mm -hmm. feel safe enough to disclose, whether it be their disabilities, whether it be the fact that they might be survivors of domestic violence or of racial injustice. Very recently, we've seen a lot of uh, discussions around mental health. So I think what's the biggest progress is making the workplace truly inclusive. For the first 10, 12 years of this department, we solely focused on diversity. And in the last few years, since I've joined the team, we've really focused more on inclusion. So I think that that's the biggest progresses that we've made at L'Oreal. And Isabella, what do you consider the most important principle of diversity in the workplace? I think it's really important that, and, and building on what Margaret said earlier, the principles of diversity and inclusion is not to only attract diverse people, but to ensure that people will be welcome, that they actually they can contribute to the best of their ability that they can progress in the institution but more importantly that they will be acknowledged and rewarded 
for their contribution. I think one of the biggest issues that we had to deal with over the years, don't forget, we inherited a society with inequality that has been going on for many centuries. To change an institution, to change society is going to take a very long time. So I think the main principles is to make sure that we have at the moment legislations, anti-discrimination that set standards, but the minimum standards. What we need is robust policies and procedures to tackle inequality. We need to ensure that there is pay equity in institutions. We need to recognize that, and this is really vital, that there are structural inequality, institutional inequality that needs to be addressed. Institutions are becoming global organizations, so we need to understand that by having diversity and inclusion, that will enable institutions to innovate. One of the biggest things that I think also is a principle is to embrace flexible working so that diverse communities will be able to come to the institution and reach their full potential. But also, we need to establish accountability and use positive action to address inequalities. Fantastic. And this could be open to either one of you. What initial actions would you recommend for those who are starting out? If I may, first of all, I think it's about listening and learning from Mm -hmm. each other, from the teams. So I think that that's something that before just applying some sort of diversity and inclusion policy that work in another company or organization, I think what's really key is to make sure that we understand what are the expectations from our employees, but also our consumers, because our consumers are voicing it and, and responding. And we saw this very recently last June when consumers worldwide in many different organizations were speaking up about questions they might have to companies about the values of diversity and inclusion and the implementation. So I think before taking action, it's important to to understand. Then I think it's important to evaluate the corporate culture of the organization. And I think it's also important today for organizations to actually voice an opinion on certain issues that maybe before weren't necessarily part of the agenda. So for instance, I know that there's a report that just came out in the United States from the Council of Fashion Designers of America on the state of diversity uh, in fashion and equity. And it's very interesting today, social or racial injustice, for instance, companies are expected to have an opinion, to have a stand and to make sure that their HR policies put that into place. Also, I think the last thing I'd like to say is be making sure that it doesn't stay an HR topic. For a very long time, even within L'Oreal, it was really focused on recruiting, training, promoting, closing the gender pay gap, making sure that women were in leadership positions and that is all absolutely crucial. But the link with the brands and how we depict diversity and how we speak to our consumers on social media, via our ads, and obviously via our products is absolutely key. Absolutely. And Isabella, do you want to mention any pointers related to this? Yes, I I totally agree with Margaret on this. But I think leaders, they need the tools and support as they improve their ability to identify and mitigate inequalities. They need to identify and mitigate bias. They need tools to respect differences and build empathetic relationships and manage conflict and bring out the best in people. I think to make 
progress on diversity and inclusion, leaders in all institutions first need to acknowledge societal inequalities and recognize that society and organizations are not actually level playing field. And that's where we need to start working on. So I think it's vital for leaders in every field to understand that they have a vital contribution to address inequality in society and in their organizations. Yeah, absolutely. I no, I totally agree. And and obviously, Isabella, being like UAL head of equality and diversity and inclusion yourself, what are you doing to make everyone feel included? We've come a long way, and I think there is a long way to go as well. So the first most important aspects of making sure that everybody feels included is to listen to people, is to to have that open conversation and sometimes to have challenging conversations about inequality, listening to what people need, making sure senior leadership leading from the top, communicating very strong commitment to diversity and inclusion and resourcing diversity and inclusion initiatives. At UAL, we recognise the value of of people and the contribution or and rewarding people accordingly, making sure that people are recognized and not erased from their successful contribution, changing everybody's behavior. So education. So we have breaking bias training. We are piloting mandatory EDI training, anti-racism training. We have staff equality network. We have staff development program. We're working on management capabilities through education and communication, as well as we have policies and wider inclusive practices like our public sector equality duty objectives, our EDI strategy and operational plan, our anti-racism strategy and operational plan, sexual orientation policies, the trans equality policy, dignity at work, flexible working, and so on. All of this, as well as changing the organization's culture and climate and value people. And we are working towards our race equality charter. So we are examining the culture of the institution we are part of the the top 100 of Stonewall Equality Index and we also um, disability confident employer. Yeah, that's fantastic with the um, the tools uh, that UAL employees can access and, and obviously kind of self-educate themselves and go through the training. So that is really, really, really important. And obviously keeping that kind of content modern and um, up to date and fresh. So I've got a question for Margaret. Could you provide an example of one of your successful projects you've implemented and it made a difference to strengthen diversity and quality in the organisation? Well, we have several examples, but maybe I'll focus on one, uh, which is on gender-based violence. This is an initiative. We are a company where we have 70% of our workforce is women and most of our consumers are women. That's changing, obviously. And we are having more men and people of all genders who are becoming our or who are our consumers. But we have in terms of our workforce, we decided to tackle this issue. So we did this creating and joining part of a intercompany coalition. So we started this here in, in France with headquarters of companies like ours, like the banking area, in fashion, in many different areas. And we came together to focus on uh, gender-based violence and more specifically domestic violence. So I think that one of um, the reasons was that the statistics spoke for themselves. One in three women will go through gender-based violence in her lifetime. And yeah. most of those violences happen at home and happen through and and are linked to domestic violence. So one of the challenges that I've had to face 
when I decided to launch this for L'Oreal was the fact that it was perceived as a private matter. Mm. So I did a bit of um, explanation and very quickly got everyone on board, including obviously our CEO. And the reason was that the workplace was the only place where actually a survivor can speak up and maybe seek advice or help. And our job as an employer is to listen, to detect, but also to reorient that employee towards the right organization who has the right answers. So what we've actually committed to change within the last two years is we've trained a lot of people. We got one of our key brands, Yves Saint Laurent Beauté, to really contribute and become uh, very involved in promoting trainings, but also raising awareness, but also funding grassroots level organizations like Women's Aid in the UK to really help. And then during the confinement, we also decided to reach out and go beyond our companies by promoting and making sure that everyone was aware that if neighbors or um, people were hearing certain behaviors that were not normal, how to seek help. Last but not least, we became advocates before COVID in 2019 at ILO, at the International Labor Organization, and we asked companies who wanted to join us to come along and to really push for the um, the voting of this convention, 190, focused on gender-based violence and more specifically had a very specific aspect on domestic violence. So what that concluded is that we at L'Oreal decided to then write up an HR policy focused on DV, on domestic violence, and that we're rolling out presently. So that was produced during COVID, and this is becoming mandatory worldwide in all of our subsidiaries. That is really brilliant. And to to be honest, it couldn't have come at a a fantastic time, especially during the situation of COVID, where domestic violence um, internally within homes has actually risen for L'Oreal to go through this process and have this HR policy implemented. This is really valuable to your employees. Did you face any challenges when you were like trying to address this particular topic? Well, the biggest challenge, uh, the fact that a lot of people thought it was not the role of a company to tackle such an issue because it had to do with what they called private matter, which we get involved in parental leave when our employees go through severe treatments if they're ill. So we do tend to get into people's private lives. So this is where I did not understand what made it different in this case. I think what made it different simply was that it's a completely taboo topic still in this day and age. And that it's become in the last few months quite top of mind for most people because of the statistics and the increase worldwide on the amount of survivors who are speaking up and seeking help. So that was the biggest challenge was to explain what the role of a company was related to this topic and what Mm. we were supposed to do as employers. Exactly. Thank you so much, Margaret. That's amazing. And that's really good to hear a, a fantastic story with a very successful you know, ending. And obviously, that's actually live and it's been championed and it's been implemented. Isabella, do you have a, a success story for UAL from an education perspective? A similar thing at University of the Arts. One of the things that we recognise at a sector level that people of colour always asking for mentoring, for a positive action measure. And this is why we as higher education institution, we came a couple of institutions together to establish Be Mentor, which is a mentoring scheme aimed at mentoring people of colour in higher education institutions across many institutions 
you know, in the sector. And that has been quite successful, really, because it is a positive action measure is people of color, mentoring people of color. And um, it's a networking uh, opportunity for people in higher education. It is a, a way of progressing in the sector, but also in specific institution, as well as addressing inequalities. So that has been quite successful. And not much of challenges apart from time, resources, why other forms of mentoring available is not as useful. Why do we need this positive action measure? But I must say that in all higher education institutions participating in this particular program, this has been really successful. And senior leadership is totally behind everything we do. And this is one of the measures that we use. We make sure that we stay away from the deficit model in addressing inequality and have a combination of different ways of addressing inequality. And that's why this program has been quite successful. I I, I agree with you. It it kind of builds like a community by having this kind of um, mentoring support for all employees. And I think it kind of gives that vote of confidence for each employee to know that they're on the right track in terms of their work ethics, their workflow, their responsibilities in terms of developing their career. So it's, you know, it's a really good project and kind of scheme to actually kind of introduce to all types of businesses um, because then you're building that strong community and it's all about knowledge sharing. So that really helps. So I just wanted to ask Margaret, going on, let's say the topics of say recruitment and bringing new employees in, how does the organisation recruitment plans support diverse cultures? Our recruitment teams worldwide have probably been the group of people who have been the most trained on unconscious biases and on all kinds of forms to just to be as inclusive as possible. So not to to kind of reiterate what Isabella was saying, but obviously the education piece is absolutely fundamental. We've had trainings of all types, online, offline, 30 minutes, e-learnings, also webinars that are an hour long. So we have a wide offer tackling different issues regarding diversity and inclusion, sometimes on specific topics like unconscious bias, but it could be on sexism or on domestic violence, but it could be also more broad. So one of the efforts we're doing is just just to make sure that all recruiters go through this training. Now at L'Oreal, our process, we have also what we call hiring managers. So it's not just the first person who's meeting the candidate, but it's the whole process. So we need to make sure that to the top level management, everyone is trained on a regular basis. And this is what we're finalizing today, as a matter of fact is making sure that all of our top level leadership management training sessions have a piece on inclusion, not just to recruit, obviously people from different walks of life, people with different perspectives, diplomas, and so on, but also to make sure that we retain those talents. And that's the biggest challenge is just to make sure that even though we are a global company with over 85,000 people worldwide, we are a French company in the beauty industry with a certain amount of stigma attached to it. And we need to make sure that we are the most inclusive beauty leader. So that's something that we are aiming for. And we've learned also from our mistakes is that by not putting it in the management piece, we weren't able to retain all of our key players, all of our talents. So that would be, for me, the biggest brick that we're presently launching right now is just to make sure that everyone is on board to make sure that we can really keep those diverse teams. Yeah, that's fantastic. How do they measure like the diversity and inclusion within the organization to show transparency in their recruitment 
process. Do they have a particular percentage of certain individuals they're looking for or is it completely open market? That's a really good question. We do have KPIs in certain fields, like for instance, on gender, on disability. Half of our subsidiaries have to uh, be in line with the local legislation that obliges companies of a certain size to have X amount of percentage of employees who are in a situation of disability. What we've done is that the other half of the subsidiaries where we don't have local legislations on disability, for instance, we've imposed a KPI. So we've asked for all of those uh, subsidiaries to at least have 2% of direct employment with employees who have visible or invisible disabilities. On ethnicity, it's obviously very difficult to measure from country to country. There's certain countries like in the United States where a system enables that type of KPI. Most countries worldwide do not. So we're actually presently launching a research project within L'Oreal to really see how we can measure this or at least try and find something. Is it country by country? Is it zone by zone? But just to make sure that we actually at the end of the day have a truly diverse workforce. Why do we want a diverse workforce? Really to be able to understand our consumers worldwide, but also to preempt and understand trends just to make sure that we're on top of it and that we're actually producing products that really respond to people's beauty regimens, different hair types, different skin types, and so on. So this is something that we uh, put into place and that we monitor. So KPIs is one answer. And then making sure that we have very big figures and we know that we still have fewer women applying in our IT and tech roles and more women applying in our marketing and communications roles. So we also make sure to keep that gender balance going as well. Fantastic. Um, and Isabella, um, in terms of UAL, you know, I know that you mentioned obviously all the list of particular trainings. Is there any other new training modules that are getting introduced? And is it going to be mandatory or is it going to be on optional basis? Yeah, I think at UAL we have been for many years having mandatory breaking bias training for all members of the of the university. For all our recruitment panels, we have selecting the best training, which has very robust EDI elements into the training. And now we are introducing EDI online module and anti-racism training. This will be mandatory because Mm. my idea for everybody in the institution, like Maslow's hierarchy of need, there will be a basic level that is absolutely vital for every role. And we can build on that targeted training, like anti-racism training, like disability equality training, sexual orientation training, all that will be built on the absolute important basic level so that's what I'm introducing what we're introducing and piloting now is that basic level online EDI equality diversity and inclusion training as well as the anti-racism training and is there any kind of other diversity programs in place that celebrate change yes I think it has been for many years we've got EDI strategy we're promoting diversity in language we have an inclusive vision but we are also working towards our race equality charter to achieve the awards. So we've got a self-assessment team chaired by our diversity champion. We are part of the top 100 in the Stonewall Equality Index. We are a disability confident employer. We've got work. We're working very hard towards decolonizing the curriculum. We have Shades of Noir in the institution. We have staff diversity networks in the institution. We work in partnership with the students as well as the students union to progress on diversity 
university. We are working to ensure our website, our communication, the, the imagery we use are inclusive. And also we communicate senior management support. One of the biggest things that we have is our diversity champions forum where members of our executive board are the champions. We have race equality champion, disability equality champion, sexual orientation champion, as well as uh, religion and belief champions. And we have forums where there is an open dialogue and we maintain that open dialogue. And is there any areas in diversity and inclusion in the workplace that there are taboo and needs to be addressed specifically within the fashion or beauty industry? Isabella, what do you think about that? In every industry, I think because, as I said earlier, we inherited a society that is full of inequality. I think there are many aspects of equality is still a taboo and is still not talked about. For example, race is, is an area where it's not discussed very comfortably. It's a challenge if you like. And one of the things that a Black Lives Matter movement has increased the conversation about race equality in, in organizations. So I think this is one of the biggest areas that we do need to have now open conversations. We need to recognize and talk about structural inequalities that we inherited and work towards eliminating discrimination in that. Absolutely. You know, most recently, there's been a lot of media coverage around the topic of diversity and inclusion. So do you think this is a trend? For me, I find it quite intriguing how certain topics resurface and they come to light. Is it getting addressed or is this just purely media coverage just to kind of put it out there again? To be honest with you, I worked in the police force in the time of the Stephen Lawrence inquiry and in the Home Office. And it's really quite disheartening to know that after all these years, I am now again talking about institutional racism and inequality in society. So I think it's been a wake up call that this cannot be a trend and flavor of the month. And we can talk about it and put initiatives in place and move to something different next mm. month. I think now now is the realization, and this is why there is so much in the media about it, there is so much talk, that I think now is a realization. This cannot be a trend that we work on and we forget it and move to something else. I think it's the whole global community, the worldwide, especially COVID-19 made us also aware of this, that we all need to keep working on it, to keep addressing these inequalities so that we can have a future and a sustainable sustainable future and a society free from all kind of discrimination. Yeah, totally agree. Margaret, what's your opinion on the diversity and inclusion in the workplace? You know, do you think it's a taboo or do you think it's just like a whole hype for media coverage? I'm going to answer on behalf of L'Oreal. We've been involved very proactive for more than 15 years on this topic. We have DNI correspondents in all of our subsidiaries. So clearly, I don't think it's a trend. The only really positive outcome of 2020 was the fact that this global pandemic accentuated all forms of inequalities, whether they concerned economics, healthcare, racism, homophobia, just to mention a few. The fact that Black Lives Matter went international, it had existed since 2013, and that diversity and inclusion became even more urgent topics exactly. from really social media to boardrooms. So what's interesting is that from consumers, but also our employees, the level of consciousness raising on diversity and 
inclusion is unprecedented. Mm -hmm. uh, so we, in companies like ours, we see this as a challenge, but also as an opportunity. So what we've done, for instance, is we, on the issue that we were just talking about with a link to racial injustice, for instance, we put together listening circles in several countries, including the UK and Ireland, mm -hmm. where our team did a fabulous job of just listening and learning from our employees how they were living this uh, racial injustice, how they reacted to Black Lives Matter, to BAME in the UK, and then trying to, as much as possible, translating that into a concrete action plan. So I think that this is to stay. I think it's also an expectation. Younger people coming into the workforce also are expecting companies to have a point of view and yeah. to be speaking up on these issues, as I mentioned before. And it's a really good thing. It's changed the corporate social responsibility, but not from a philanthropic way, but from a business way. This is part of how we need to continue making business. Fantastic. Thank you. So we're coming to the end. Do you have any final points of advice for our students or listeners to ensure that they feel included in the workplace or within their teams? Maybe I'll jump in. I think yes. this is an opportunity for employees, for future employees like students, but also for companies to contribute to change. They really need to feel comfortable enough that they can be part of that change and part of and make a real difference. It's up to us as companies to listen, so mm -hmm. to really embed inclusion in all of our actions. But we do need to collectively lead by example and take stands on these mm -hmm. important topics because governments, NGOs, smaller businesses don't have the means. We're very lucky in large organizations to be able to test and learn, to be able to roll out. So we have a duty to keep going on these topics and making sure that we do close the gap in terms of gender pay gap. If there's one still, we need to make sure that we have to fight against all forms of discrimination. So we need to make sure that the students feel comfortable working or joining teams, that they can voice their opinion and their differences and make sure that they can make a change. And, and Isabella? I think that the the message that I would like to just send for our students, be yourself and challenge inequality and oppression. You are the future generations and you have a duty to progress the equality, diversity and inclusion agenda. Make sure you look after yourself and your mental health well-being. Share your creative ideas in tackling inequality so that we all together end all forms of inequality. Fantastic. I totally champion that, Isabella. So on that note, I would like to say a huge thank you to Margaret Johnston-Clark and Isabella Chan for your contribution today. LCF students, you can read further about this topic on the Graduate Futures Moodle page. So a big, big thank you to both of you for joining me and thank you and stay safe. <laughs>